Welcome in to Lockdown Blackhawks for Monday, December 23rd, 2019. Jay Zawoski with you here. Lockdown Blackhawks is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I hope you're having a somewhat relaxing week leading up to Christmas. I know there's a lot of stuff to get done, and I know there's a lot of uh, some people still at work. Kids are out of school now, and that can add a little bit of a headache, so hopefully uh, we can help you forget about your stress and enjoy the holidays a little bit here on Lockdown Blackhawks. We've got some good Blackhawks news to talk about. We got Saturday's game to react to, which was my favorite game of the year so far. We're also going to preview tonight's game against the New Jersey Devils. Remember, tomorrow, Tuesday, is Talk Back Tuesday. Need those questions, need those emails, LockedOnBlackhawks at gmail.com. Voicemail 708-653-0572. You can also follow my personal account at jzawaski670 and the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast at Madhouse Pod. So the schedule for this week, we'll have a show, obviously, today. We'll have a show tomorrow, Christmas Eve. There will be no show on Christmas Day. The plan for now is to have a show on Thursday and Friday. There'll definitely be a show on Friday. There may not be a show on Thursday. I'm still sort of working through the logistics of having a show on Christmas night. I think I can make it work, but... You'll have at least three episodes this week, probably four, with the only off day being on Christmas Day. So, I'm going to take a day to enjoy the holidays. I hope you guys do too. Uh, And I just want to say, you know, as the year ends up here, we're also going to have a New Year's Eve show uh, next Tuesday. That'll be a Talk Back Tuesday as well. But uh, just thank you for my first, you know, it's not a year, but it's the flipping of the calendar for the first time for me on Lockdown Blackhawks, and the support's been tremendous. So uh, thank you all so much. I have I think I've said thank you more than I've said uh, Hawks win this season. Uh, but, hey, let's talk about the absolute joy that I had watching on Saturday. And, yeah, the Hawks, you know, were down 3-1 in the third period, and it didn't look good. And I talked to a lot of people this weekend at uh, various Christmas parties, like, yeah, you know, I saw the Hawks were down 3-1. I could see, you know, kind of watching it from the periphery, which I think is how a lot of people are doing it now. People that are not diehards like us. Like, yeah, they they must have really turned it on for the third, huh? Well, that's not really the case. The Hawks played well the entire game. There was really no part of that game where I said, oh, my God, they're, they're playing like crap. This is terrible. They're not doing well. Yes, there were moments where they couldn't get the puck. That's going to happen against a team that's as fast as the Avalanche. That's as skilled as the Avalanche, and just their Avalanche are a really tough matchup for the Blackhawks. So what did the Blackhawks do to beat the Avalanche 5-3? to three? What was their approach? How did they slow down the Avalanche attack? And, and that's, you know, I think to, that's sort of the key. And this is the question. We've talked a lot this season about the frustration and when we start to finally decide, like, okay, this team's not good, it's time to rebuild, they'll give you a couple games in a row that sort of rebuild your faith. Look, tonight is a great opportunity for the Hawks to take six out of eight points. And when we were talking about this last week, I don't think a lot of people predicted that, right? It would also be eight out of 10 because you'd have the win over Minnesota, then lost to Colorado, win Winnipeg, win Colorado. And if they could beat New Jersey, that's four of their last five they've won. That's... That's good. That's how you make up for those missed opportunities we've discussed so much. So here's what the Hawks did. First of all, they were physical as hell. 
I've not seen the Blackhawks play this physical since before Kane and Taves were on the team. And you can say what you want about how great those teams at the Dynasty were. They were never big on physicality. Yeah, in the playoffs, they would play a playoff style and finish their checks like every team does. Saturday night, the Hawks were taking it to the Colorado Avalanche physically. Duncan Keith was laying people out. Dennis Gilbert was laying people out. But everybody was finishing their checks. That's one thing. The Hawks were also, when I say tight checking, they were on the avalanche as soon as they got the puck. And sometimes it didn't work out. But they were aggressive. They played with confidence. And I think offensively, you saw the Hawks playing with some speed, keeping their feet moving, doing the things they needed to do. Look, they had some really good individual performances Saturday night, and one guy I want to focus on was Kirby Doc, who I think had his finest game as a pro, and I don't think it's really even close. He was a different player Saturday night. 14.50 of ice time, scored an incredibly difficult goal from a pass a, sort of along the goal line from Patrick Kane, and he just snuck it under Grubauer. Phenomenal, phenomenal uh, skill to finish that play, but he had four shots on goal and two takeaways. It was a really good, really effective game for Kirby Doc. And if he's going to be that player every night, that sort of changes the conversation. That's interesting. You know, that 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 can if he's going to start to look like a number one star type of player, then we can start talking, right? 18-year-old kid in his first year is finally starting to find that rhythm and some injuries here have given him an opportunity to play some more minutes. And it looks like this last game could be a step to the, the next step for Kirby Doc, if that makes sense. I'm not saying all of a sudden he's going to be an all-star player every night, but a performance like he had Saturday night against a team as good as Colorado, scoring a goal, breaking the 15-game pointless skid he was on, that's going to do a lot for his confidence. You could see the relief and the joy in his face when he scored. I was very pleased with the effort, and especially considering how shorthanded the Hawks are. They're already out with DeHaan, no Shaw, now Brandon Sod's on injured reserve. They're dealing with a lot of injuries, a lot of, you know, they're, they're not playing at full strength by any means. So to see them come out and put forth an effort like that, that's it's great. And I think everybody that watched the game from start to finish was really, really thrilled with it. At the same time, it makes you wonder, A, is it sustainable? And B, if it's not, why not? Why can't the Hawks come out every game and suddenly be a physical team? They've got a roster for it. Zach Smith, Matthew Highmore, Dennis Gilbert, David Kampf. These are all guys willing to finish checks and play physically, right? They've got some guys that can do this. Now, it, it maybe they'll see. Because they got the result against Colorado, maybe we'll see the Hawks add that element to their game. Because a lot of the skill is on injured reserve. And they're going to have to find a new way to compete and a new way to beat teams. And maybe, just maybe, they found out how to do it against the Colorado Avalanche. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash locked NFL 
and using promo code LOCKEDNHL at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. If you can't visit Casper right now, you can find this and all other offers from Lockdown sponsors at LockdownPodcast.com slash offers. It's Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. And before we move on to the second bit of news here regarding Brent Seabrook, I I sort of want to just go back on what I said last segment. I don't know if this is going to be one of those turning point wins, this game against Colorado. But I do think that it could be a new formula for success or a new system for the team. Look, they've got to adjust based on the guys they have on the roster now. You can't play the same style you played when you had DeHaan and you had Shaw and you had all the guys that were that are now injured when they were healthy. You've got to play different. You don't have as much skill as you had to start. And look, they're not that skilled of a team in the first place. So to add that element of physicality is going to be interesting. Can they do it every night? That's the question. All right, next bit of news. If you missed this, I'm going to share this audio with you. It's from Sportsnet in Canada. This is Elliot Friedman talking about Brent Seabrook. And if you missed the news last week, Seabrook was a healthy scratch on Wednesday against Colorado, the 4-1 loss at home against the Avalanche. Then Thursday, the Hawks played in Winnipeg, and Brent Seabrook did not make the trip. There was no mention of injury or anything after Wednesday's loss to the Avalanche. Wednesday morning, before the scratch game, Seabrook participated in that morning skate and was in, was available for interviews after practice, which is not usually typical for an injured player. So let's recap. It's Wednesday morning, Seabrook takes part in a morning skate normally, okay? Comes off the ice. There's no mention of injury, nothing like that. He meets the media. He's scratched Wednesday night. Then it's announced Thursday that Seabrook did not travel with the team to Winnipeg because he's, quote, undergoing further medical evaluation. Obviously did not play Saturday. And then Saturday night on Sportsnet in Canada, Elliot Friedman offered this very interesting and oddly worded report. Just an interesting story out of Chicago, and that's that Brent Seabrook didn't play the other night and he won't play again tonight against Colorado, and they're saying he's getting some things looked at. You know, here's what we can kind of tell. Brent Seabrook is one tough guy, and he has played through a lot of things, and there's been a few nagging injuries, I understand, that he just hasn't even really gotten looked at. So what they're doing right now is they're going through the process, they're trying to determine exactly what's wrong with them and how much time it needs. Now, this is something that could potentially, depending on the results, mean he could miss quite a bit of time, but they don't know yet. But that's kind of the situation where it stands. I think they're preparing for the possibility it could be out a while, but I think everybody feels, Chris, that this is a guy who needs to get healthy for the sake of his own career, too. A couple things here, and before I react to this audio and before I react to the situation, I want to make it abundantly clear that I have zero inside information about what's going on with Brent Seabrook. I told you from day one on Lockdown Blackhawks that when I have stuff, I'll tell you, and when I don't, I won't make anything up. I promise you that, okay? So when I'm saying this, I want it to be understood that it's pure speculation on my part. This, to me, 
sounds like a building up of a story of, you know, I don't know. The It's so vague. There's no specific injury. He didn't miss a morning skate. There is no mention of an injury after practice. And then all of a sudden, he's a healthy scratch and he doesn't fly to Winnipeg because he's undergoing further evaluations. Is this the Blackhawks, like, setting up a long-term injured reserve stay for Seabrook, maybe for the rest of the year? And then maybe it becomes not a Marion Hosa situation, but something sort of similar where they're like, yeah, he can't play anymore. He's got concussions or he's got whatever. And it just sort of becomes one of those things where they find a team with a lot of cap space and they throw him a prospect and say, hey, take on this salary for us. He's not going to play anymore. I hope to God that's not how this goes down. And as obvious as it is that Brent Seabrook is no longer one of the Hawks' top six defensemen, hell, when they're healthy, he's not probably top seven. I do not want a three-time Stanley Cup winner vanishing away from the Blackhawks like a fart in the wind. It would not be right for it to happen that way. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, though. And maybe the Hawks don't either. We know last season the Hawks went to Brent Seabrook and said, will you trade your no-trade clause? He denied that happened. I was told, yes, it indeed did happen, and he refused to waive it, which is absolutely his right. He signed a deal. He signed a no-movement clause. There's one person to blame for that, and it's not Brent Seabrook. It's Stan Bowman. But I don't know what this is setting up to. The way Friedman spoke sounds like someone's telling him some information with some things that were either left out or told to be left out, and it could be building towards one of those wink-wink, nudge-nudge, he-can't-play-anymore sort of things. I don't know anything. I want to be totally clear on this. This is just my guess, but this entire situation is fishy. And I don't doubt that Brent Seabrook has myriad medical issues and physical issues from playing 100% as hard as he can every shift he's ever played for the Blackhawks. And I do not question that. If there's one guy who gave everything he had to the Blackhawks during this dynasty, it's Brent Seabrook. And he continues to. His body just can't do what his mind and his heart want him to do anymore. But this whole thing, it feels fishy. It feels weird. And uh, hopefully we get some sort of clarity on it soon. If we don't, don't be surprised if in a little while you see him placed on long-term injury reserve. And that's the end of Brent Seabrook for this season and maybe beyond. It is Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day reminding you that tomorrow is Talk Back Tuesday. Get those voicemails, get those emails in, voicemail 708-653-0572, email lockedonblackhawks at gmail.com. You can also email a voice memo to that email address. Just open up your phone, open up your voice memo app, record it, and send it off via email. Very easy Sounds great. Audio quality is like studio quality. So that's the preferred method of voicemail because it just sounds so awesome. But if you want to leave the phone number again, 708-653-0572. Get those questions in for Talk Back Tuesday. As we do every game day, it is time to go behind enemy lines. Let's take a look at the New Jersey Devils. The Devils are second to last in the Eastern Conference, ahead of only 
the Detroit Red Wings, who are now minus 68 in goal differential. Their record, 9-26-3. Oh, God, they're awful. Woo. New Jersey, bad, but not quite that bad. They're 11-19-5 with 27 points in 35 games, 2-7-1 over their last 10. Keeping in mind, they traded Taylor Hall to Arizona last week, so their best player is gone. They have been struggling all season, and now you take away Taylor Hall, and things are probably going to be even worse for the Devils, and they are looking for that number one pick again to compliment Jack Hughes. Two years in a row, that could be good news for the Devils, but this is a team that came into the season with really high expectations. Not only did they have the number one overall pick, Jack Hughes joining the team, they had traded for P.K. Subban, they signed Wayne Simmons. There were a lot of things added to the Devils that made a lot of people believe they were going to be a pretty decent team. And look, it, it makes sense. You know, Wayne Simmons is a good player. I like him a lot. Subban is a guy who's a superstar in this league. Uh, they have Nico Hishier, who's a really great young player. Cal Palmieri is their leading scorer right now, but he's only got 22 points in 35 games. Uh, Gusev, Vatanen, they've got some good players on the roster, and this team came into the season, like I said, with high expectations and from the beginning have just not been able to put it together. And now they are one of the worst teams in the National Hockey League and uh, looking like they're, well, they're definitely going to have a lottery pick, but could be the number one overall pick again. So I told you about their last 10 games. Um, once again, 2-7-1. and one. This game's at the United Center. The Devils are 6-11-0 on the road. Meanwhile, the Blackhawks' home record, 8-8-3. Eight, eight, and three. Not great, but it's decent. If you want to catch up on the Hawks' record, they are 15-16-6 with a minus-14 goal differential. They are uh, ahead of L.A., Anaheim, and San Jose, so they're fourth from the bottom in the Western Conference, but they're 36 points. That puts them only uh, eight points out of a playoff spot, or seven points out of a playoff spot. I'm good at math. Calgary has 43 points with the final wild card spot, so the Hawks are seven points back of these final wild card spot. Let's take a look at some of the advanced statistics as it goes with the Blackhawks and the Devils. First, the Devils, and their five on five Corsi four percentage is 45.48. That is 30th of 31 teams in the league over their last 10 games. Not good. 402 shot attempts for, 482 shot attempts against in comparison, the Blackhawks 46.57. They're 26th. In the NHL over the last 10 games, 441 shot attempts for 506 against. When we look at the high danger scoring chances, the percentages there, the New Jersey Devils are not as bad as you would think. They're 25th, which still isn't great, but there's a 44.87%, 70 high danger chances for, 86 against. Again, this is over the last 10 games. Guess who's last in the NHL over their last 10 games? That's right, the Chicago Blackhawks with a 42.5 high danger chances for percentage, 68 high danger chances for, 92 against for the Blackhawks. So not a great stretch here for Chicago, uh, but look, what's important is they've won three of their last four, and tonight's game against New Jersey is insanely winnable, incredibly winnable. This is a game the Blackhawks should absolutely win and if they do, they head into their three-day break, their Christmas break, taking three of the last three, you know, six of the last eight, 
and uh, and eight of the last available ten points. That's a good feeling. If they don't win this game tonight, that's going to be a bad taste in their mouths for a long time. And look, they've had a hellish schedule so far. But coming up, they've got the Devils, who are not great. The New York Islanders are a solid team. Obviously, they're second overall in the Metropolitan Division, but a beatable team, right? Then they've got the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are very beatable. And they've got the Calgary Flames, who are chasing for a wild card spot. So aside from the Islanders, you can expect the Hawks to pick up some points here. So got to feel happy about how the things have gone over the last little while. That Colorado game, I, I feel bad because I didn't have a podcast on Sunday, but I was chomping at the bit to get on. That was one of those games where you it could be a turning point. And I'm not going to say they're not going to become contenders. I don't think they're the new St. Louis Blues where all of a sudden uh, a, a switch flips and they're all of a sudden a good team and a contender. But they're better than their record indicates. I still believe that. I still believe they're better than their record shows. And yes, they've got some dynamic goaltending and they've had to overcome some important injuries. There's no doubt. But Patrick Kane has not slowed down. Jonathan Taves has picked it up lately. He's been scoring very well lately. I've been really happy with Taves' game. He had three points against Colorado. So there are some things that kind of give you a little bit of hope. And again, I don't want to sell a false Billy Goods here, but I can't just simply ignore what I saw Saturday night. That was an impressive display. The Hawks were the better team for most of that game. And like I said, yeah, there were moments where Colorado was taking it to them. But there were also moments where the Hawks were doing that to them. By the way, a little note about Patrick Kane. In 37 games, he has 20 goals and 26 assists for 46 points. The next closest to him in scoring is Jonathan Taves with 27 points in 37 games. Patrick Kane has 19 more points than anyone else on the team. That's unreal. That's, I mean, it, it's, it says a few things. First of all, it says Kane is still one of the top five or six players in the game. I don't think there's much doubt about that. But it also shows you how down of a year it's been for a lot of guys. Like 27, game, like 27 points in 37 games isn't terrible, right? That's, that's not horrible. Over the course of 82 games, it'd be a 60-point season, which is less than you'd want from Jonathan Taze, but it's not insultingly bad. Patrick Kane's ability to still pick up a ton of points for this team and score huge goals for this team, it, it's, it's almost as if he's gotten better every year of his career. And, yeah, he's been on better Hawks teams, but individually, he's never been better than he was last year or this year. It's incredible to watch. He's got nine more points than games played. Patrick Kane is having an MVP-type season, and you know there's a lot of guys in the league that are doing the same on better teams, and that's going to hurt him. But can you imagine this team without Patrick Kane? Wow. 
You want to talk about lottery pick? The Hawks wouldn't be Detroit bad, but they'd be real. They'd be the worst team in the West by a mile. There'd be no doubt. And I know some people are ready to move on from Patrick Kane and fully rebuild. And I I understand that logic, but you have to understand that if you trade Patrick Kane from this team, things are going to be really bad for two three years, like really 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 bad. Because that's not the kind of guy you can replace. That's a once in a generation kind of a player. And I don't think it's hard for me to say that in my lifetime, Patrick Kane is the best Blackhawk. I'm 42. So before this, I would have said Chelios. I think Patrick Kane is the best Blackhawk in my lifetime, and it's not really particularly close. I love Jeremy Roenick. I love Tony Amante. I love Chris Chelios. Love Taves. Love Hosa. All those guys. But the entire body of work, and when it's all said and done, Patrick Kane is the best Blackhawk in probably since Stan McKeeter or Bobby Hull. It's crazy. Appreciate it. Because it won't be here long. And I think Patrick Kane is a guy whose hockey we've sort of taken for granted because it's been so good since the day he joined the league. But even when the Hawks are frustrating you now, take a moment to appreciate the quality of hockey you're seeing from Patrick Kane. This is a first ballot Hall of Famer, the best American-born player ever, and uh, a Chicago Blackhawks legend forever. All right, thanks for listening to Lockdown Blackhawks. We are part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Don't forget, tomorrow is Talk Back Tuesday. Leave that voicemail, 708-653-0572. Email lockdownblackhawks at gmail.com. Send me a tweet at LO underscore Blackhawks. I'll do better at answering some of those tweets on the podcast. I've sort of slacked off on that, but we've gotten so much great stuff on the voicemail and on the email. It's like I almost don't have time. So, again, want to remind you of the schedule this week. Show tomorrow. No show Wednesday, Christmas Day. And we'll be back Thursday and Friday. So four out of five shows this week, very likely. I may skip the 26th. Based on some scheduling issues, not really sure what the plan is for Christmas Day with my family yet, but definitely at least three podcasts this week. So with that, going to sign off until Tuesday. Thanks for listening to Lockdown Blackhawks. My name is Jay Zawoski, and we are part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.